Hello and welcome to Wangaratta Baptist Church. My name is Pastor Aaron. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to join with us today for this message. This message was recorded live at one of our Sunday morning services, which are on every Sunday at 10 a.m. right here in Wangaratta. If you're here uh, in town on a Sunday, then why not come along and join with us in fellowship with other believers as we open the word together and hear from the scriptures. But if you are connecting with us online, don't let this replace uh, coming to a, a local church. Uh, they are vitally important for the growth of all believers. And so get along to your local church. But if not, then, then at least help. let this be a supplement to help you in your walk with the Lord. And so we do believe that the, the scriptures are the inerrant word of God and they're here to train us and equip us. And so we will be speaking and opening up the scriptures together. So, so get your Bibles out and follow along. And I trust that this message that you are watching today will really encourage you and inspire you and help you understand the hope that we do have in Jesus Christ. May it be a blessing to you. Have you ever told anyone that you go to church? And if you have, what has been their reaction? Well, I don't know where you stand. Maybe you say, well, I'm not ready to tell anybody. I don't even know where, where I stand. Maybe, maybe that's where you're at. I don't know. You might not even know what you think of it. Or maybe you say, well, I'm beginning to experience something that's different. I'm beginning to experience something of an encounter with Jesus. Maybe over the last few weekends, you experienced something. Well, supposing that you have some experience of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and somebody asks you about it, what would you say? How would you explain it? Why would you want to? Now, growing up in a Christian home, I never remember a time where I haven't loved Jesus. There was never anything to compare what life was like before Jesus and what life is like with Jesus. I've always known Jesus. But because it is so normal for me, and you might find this too if you've grown up like me, there might have been a lack of intent to share Jesus with others, to talk about our faith with others. You know, I went to an all-boys high school on the rough side of town in Tasmania, and there are a few people in my school um, there were very few people in my school from Christian backgrounds. I was in the super minority. My youth pastor came along to my school and used to run a lunchtime program and we'd have, you know, five or so kids turn up. I would always invite my friends along, but only one ever came. I would have loved for all my friends to come along and then come to youth group and, and have an encounter with Jesus and come along to church. But only one friend ever came to youth group, the same one that came to those lunchtime groups with me. The rest never did. I would hardly ever share about my faith. The best I could do was invite them along to youth group. It was a very hostile environment to grow up in as a young Christian. And, and every time I did talk about going to church, I would get teased. So what was it that made me want to keep inviting my friends along? Why do Christians talk about their faith? Some people might think that the best kind of Christian would be the one who never talked about their faith. They just lived it out 
but never told anybody even that they were a Christian. That's like the old days, you know, where there were two things you never talked about in polite company, religion and politics. But wow, how things have changed, and, and I'm glad in many ways that they have. Some people say, well, isn't the, the best kind of Christian the, the ones that just live it out? And often they talk about a member of their family who is, who is this amazing Christian who never talks about their faith. We call it the Uncle Norman factor. You know, everyone has an Uncle Norman who's, who's this amazing Christian. But the question I want to ask is, how did Uncle Norman become a Christian? How did he find out? Someone must have told him. So why should we tell others? Well, first of all, Jesus told us to. The word go appears in the Bible 1,514 times. Jesus was always saying to people, go, go and tell, go and invite. This is such wonderful news. I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. Go and tell people about it. Go and make disciples. The second reason is because the needs of other people out there. There is such a hunger. Like if you were in a desert and you came across an oasis, you would want to tell people about it. And Jesus satisfies that inner hunger for meaning, for purpose. He died for us to set us free. This is the amazing news that we can bring to other people who are often in such desperate need. A recognition of that need sometimes comes from surprising sources. I read something that the singer Sinead O'Connor said. She said this, As a race, we feel empty because our spirituality has been wiped out and we don't know how to express ourselves. And as a result, we're encouraged to fill that gap with alcohol, drugs, sex or money. People out there are screaming for the truth. So we do it out of love for other people. We do it because it's such good news. The gospel is such good news. That's what the gospel means. It means good news. The message of Jesus is the most wonderful news. And good news travels fast. Nikki tells this story. When our first child was born, it was quite a long time ago, and in the hospital, we didn't have mobile phones. In the hospital, there was just this one phone where you had to shove 10 cent coins into. Uh, and Pippa, his wife, had given him a bag of 10 cent coins and a list of people he was going to ring the moment their child was born. So Nicky says, he says, I went to the phone. The first person on the list was Pippa's mother. So I rang her and said, it's great news. We've had a son. He's 12 pounds, whatever he was, a big boy. And so I, I told her. And then we went to ring, he went on to ring his mother, number two on the list. And then he says, I couldn't get through to my mother. The line was busy. So I went to number three, Pippa's sister. I rang her. I said, it's great news. She said, no, 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 I've heard. I said, how have you heard? She said, my mother rang me. Then I went to the next one. They said, oh, congratulations. I said, oh, how did you hear? And I went down the list. Literally every single one had heard. I couldn't tell any of them. Eventually, I got through to my mother. And it turned out she'd been on the phone to Pippa's mother, who'd rung her first straight away. I didn't have to say to Pippa's mother, you really must tell people 
this is a really important message. You have a solemn duty to proclaim the message. She was excited. Good news travels fast. And Nikki says, when I encountered Jesus, I was so excited. I just wanted to tell people. I wanted to tell everybody immediately. I just wasn't very sensitive in the way they went about it. When I'd been a Christian for 10 days, I went to a party and I was determined to tell the first person that I saw at this party about Jesus. It so happened that the first person that I saw at the party was the person who is now my wife, and he says, Pippa. She wasn't then my wife or even my girlfriend. I saw her there on the dance floor and I knew she wasn't a Christian. And I thought, right, I must go and tell her about Jesus. In the 10 days since I'd been a Christian, I'd been to this talk, a similar kind of talk to this, on how to tell other people. And it, at this talk, they said, well, what you need to do is you need to establish the fact that the person needs Jesus. So I thought, right, I've got to establish the fact that she needs Jesus. So I went up to her on the dance floor and I said, hello, Pippa, you look terrible. You really need Jesus. Well, as you can imagine, that put her off for a very long time. And when she did finally become a Christian, it was through somebody totally different. That was insensitivity. <laughs> that was insensitivity. Now, if you go around like that, as Nikki did, sooner or later, you get hurt. And Nikki says he swung from insensitivity to fear. Ironically, he says, the time that he was most fearful was when he was in theological college. He says, while we were there, we were at theological college in, in Oxford. We went on a mission to a place called Allerton, just near Liverpool. And the way it worked was like my friend Rupert and I were to go and speak at someone's house. But before we did that, we'd have supper with people vaguely connected with the, with the parish. And in this case, it was a woman involved in a community group. Her husband wasn't a Christian. He was a very smart solicitor. He was the chancellor of the diocese. They lived in a smart house. They had smart children and were having a smart meal together. Over this meal, he leant over the table and he addressed the question to me. I wish he'd addressed it to Rupert, Nicky says, because Rupert is as bold as a lion, but he addressed it to me. He said, well, what are you doing up here anyway? So I said, Nikki said, well, we've come up here uh, by train and, and, and we're, here, um, we're, here, we're, we're here together because, uh, because we're such good friends and, and we're here, um, we're here to, 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 and my friend Rupert could bear the agony no longer, Nikki says, he said, we're here to tell people about Jesus. And I thought, oh, no, so embarrassing. I thought... Why am I ashamed to mention the name Jesus? Nikki says much of his life has been like that. He says, I've swung from insensitivity to fear. And then I've heard a talk like this and I thought, oh, I must go and tell people. And I've gone back to insensitivity. And then I get hurt and I go back to fear. So my question is, how... Can we share about our faith and talk about Jesus in a way that does not involve insensitivity or fear? Well, I think that essentially you could sum it up in one word. It's love. And there are various things and, and ways we can do this, many, many, many different ways. 
but I've picked on five that all begin with a letter P to make it easier to remember. The first one of those is presents. Not like presents as in Christmas presents, but in presents, being there, being out there in the world. This is what Jesus said, Matthew 5, 13. Jesus said this, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Matthew 5, 13 to 16. Jesus says, if you want to make a difference, you've got to be out there. You're like salt. Salt, of course, flavors, it adds flavor. But in the ancient world, it was also a preservative. It stopped meat from going bad. And he says, you're the people who are going to stop the society around you going bad. You're going to have a wide-ranging influence. You are the salt of the earth, the whole world. You're the light that will bring light in the darkness. Martin Luther King said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. And Jesus says, you've got to be out there in the workplace, amongst your friends, in your community, acting like salt and light. And we do that just by the life that you lead, by the love that you have for people, by little acts of kindness, by your integrity, by your authenticity, your honesty, just by the kind of people that you are gracious, trustworthy. And then he says, by your good deeds, that people may see your good deeds. How you respond to hunger, homelessness, poverty, what we do about the injustice of the world, the gross inequalities, the inhumanity. You know, think of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was 27 years of age and he looked around at the world then in the 18th century and he saw this terrible evil of slavery. We all know now that slavery is evil, but at the time they didn't think of it like that. They thought of it as a great boon for the economy. And very few people thought it was a good thing to abolish slavery, but he saw how inhuman it was, how degrading it was, what an abomination it was. And he was determined, age 27, to give his life to seeing this terrible evil removed from our society. And in order to do that, he got himself elected as an MP. He put down numerous bills in Parliament. They were all defeated. It was such an unpopular course. But he was so passionate that he kept going, driven by his faith in Jesus Christ. And he believed, to put it in his own words, that the Almighty would give him success. And he did, but it took him 45 years. It wasn't until 1833 that the abolition of slavery act was passed in Parliament. Three days later, he died and was buried in Westminster Abbey in national recognition of those 45 years of persevering struggle on behalf of African slaves. But what about today? Today, we have massive needs out there. I mean, look at the poverty out there. At least a billion people in the world living on less than a dollar a day, going to bed hungry every night. Do you know if you and I were to live on bread and water for the rest of our lives, we would be better off than them? 
every four seconds, poverty takes a child's life. Last year, 1.5 million people died of AIDS-related diseases and actually slavery has come back. Modern slavery is far greater than it was in the 18th century. Far more people in slavery today than there ever have been. Every 30 seconds, another person is taken victim of human trafficking. And when you talk about these vast numbers, I, you know, how often do we feel, oh, well, what, what can I do? It's just so massive. Is it really possible for an individual to make any difference? A man was walking along a beach in Mexico and he saw on the beach just tens of thousands of starfish. The tide had receded and, and they'd all been left, you know, these starfish drying out in the heat of the sun, lacking oxygen, they're all dying. And he noticed this little boy who was picking the starfish up one by one and is walking them down to the water's edge and throwing them into the sea. And he said to this little boy, look, just look at this beach. There are tens of thousands of starfish. You really don't think you're going to make any difference, do you? And the boy just went back and he picked up another starfish and threw it in the sea. And as he did so, he said, I bet it made a difference for that one. And that's all we can do. We can make a difference for one person at a time. You know, Nelson Mandela said this, it's not the kings and generals who make history, but the masses of the people. That's the first P, presence. The second P is persuasion, not pressure. Pressure is, is a very off-putting thing. You know, I used to love reading. You know, growing up, I, I absolutely loved just devouring books. But then I started studying my Bachelor of Theology and my entire life seemed like all I did was read because I had to read through all the course material for every subject. I was pressured to read. And reading no longer was a joyful leisure activity. It was a pressure event. I must read everything in time to finish the subject. Pressure for many is really demotivating. But persuasion is what the early Christians used. Paul said we try and persuade people because this is so wonderful. It's such good news. We want everyone to know about Jesus. And we try to persuade people of the truth of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And he did it by reasoning and explaining because it's not a blind leap of faith. It's possible to persuade people by showing them good reasons to believe. The Apostle Peter says this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason. It's not irrational. To give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's 1 Peter 3.15. Gentleness is the opposite of arrogance. Respect, because every human being is creating the image of God, and one of the ways we show respect for people is by listening to them. Kelly shared something with me recently about listening, which was so true. We so often listen in order to reply rather than listen in order to understand. You know, when it comes to belief, to faith, most people aren't ready to listen until they've first been heard. And so it's important to listen. And it's so fascinating to listen. And it's the mark of respect to listen. 
But he also says, be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you. Sometimes you might have to say, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to that. What does, why does God allow suffering? I don't know. What about some other questions they ask? You say, I don't know. But, but, but what you could also say is, I don't know the answer to that, but I'll go away and I'll, I'll, I'll do some study, I'll look it up and, and I'll come back to you. And this is one reason why it's so important that we grow in our understanding of the Bible, of God, of how faith interacts and intersects with life in real ways. That we read up on topics or listen to podcasts or Bible teachers or read books that help explain some of these searching issues that so many people have so that we are prepared to give an answer. Not that we arrogantly say we have all the answers, but so that we can interact and ask questions. Like, have you thought about this? You know, one of my friends in high school, my best friend, would, would never, ever accept an invitation to youth group. It just wasn't for him. His dad was pretty firm on that too. But a few years ago, I was going back to Tasmania and made an effort to catch up with him. And so went and played some tennis and went out for a meal. And, and over this time, he shared with me how he'd come to faith. He'd met a girl who'd introduced him to faith. And I was so thrilled to hear that he was finally open to the spiritual side of life. I did have one concern. He was introduced to the Baha'i faith. And so I tried to find some common ground and introduce him to Jesus. The Baha'i have a view that God has sent many prophets and they say Jesus was one of them. But the most recent was Baha'u'llah. Anyway, and so I asked about their faith's view of the Bible and what their view was. And his view was that the Bible was from God and Jesus was a prophet. So I asked if he believed what Jesus said was true. And as I listened to his answer and his recounting of their teaching, I was able to share some of what Jesus himself says. If Jesus was a prophet, you know, we, we know that Jesus was also the son of God, but, but common ground, if he was a prophet, then was what Jesus said true? And he said, yes. So I then introduced him to John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our conversation then continued for many hours about faith and life and I was able to share with him about Jesus in a way that he'd never been open to before. I was able to listen to him and answer questions as that, that he had as well. I was able to, you know, talk about intimate moments of, of creation and, and, and of how God works and, 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 you know, my view of God and how he viewed God and and I tried to persuade my friend to find out more about Jesus and continue searching for the truth. You know, when the Titanic sank, before it sank, people were aware that it was going to sink. And they went around trying to persuade people to get into the lifeboats. But a lot of people wouldn't get in. And most of the early lifeboats left half empty because people didn't believe it. But why were they trying to persuade them? It was out of love. 
and we persuade people about Jesus out of love. The third P is proclamation. Communicating the message of Jesus. That's what we've been trying to do through this series. There's an almost infinite variety of ways in which you can communicate the message of Jesus to other people. But here are some of the ways in the New Testament. First of all, people say, come and see. That's what Jesus did. He said to people, if you're interested, come and see. And when people followed him, they went and said to their friends, come and see. And actually, there's no greater privilege than introducing someone to Jesus. In the beginning of John's gospel, we read about one of those disciples who was invited, come and see, Andrew. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon, Peter, and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. John 1, John 1 41. And one former Archbishop of Canterbury, William Temple, said, that's the greatest service one person can render to another, to bring them to Jesus. Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus. We don't know much about Andrew except that he was always bringing people to Jesus. One of the people he brought was his brother Peter. Peter was probably one of the greatest influences on the world in the history of humankind. Not all of us can do what Peter did, but we can all do what Andrew did, bring people to Jesus. You know, I heard about a, a man called Albert McMakin. He was 24 years of age. He was a farmer. He'd just become a Christian and he was really excited. He heard that there was this event going on some, where someone was speaking about Jesus and he decided he would invite all his friends. So he'd got this old van and there was one guy he really wanted to invite to this event. This guy was a farmer's son and he really wasn't interested. He had lots of girlfriends. He was a very good looking guy. And Albert McMakin thought, how am I going to get him? So eventually he said to him, look, would you drive the van? And the guy said, okay, well, yeah, I'll, I'll drive the van. I don't want to come, but I'll drive the van. And he came along and he drove the van and was interested to see what was going on. So he popped in at the back and he was spellbound. And he went back night after night after night. And the last night, the speaker said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, come to the front. And this farmer's son got up and went to the front. Since that day, that person has spoken to 210 million people in person about the Christian faith. He's been the friend and confidant of nine American presidents and he's spoken, not live, but through television and so on, to half of the world's population. His name, of course, is Billy Graham. The year was 1934. We can't all be Billy Grahams, but we can all be Albert McMakins. We can all be the one who says, come and see and bring our friends to Christ. And then we can tell our own story. That's what the Apostle Paul did over and over again. He said, look, this is how I was. Then I met Jesus and this is how I am now. And there's no answer to your story. When you tell a friend what has happened to you, they can't say, no, it didn't. It's like the blind man who Jesus healed. The Pharisees came and attacked him. And there were all these questions. He said, look, I'm so sorry. 
I can't answer all your questions, but I can tell you one thing. Once I was blind, now I can see. And then sometimes we get an opportunity to explain ourselves. John Goulding was a businessman. He'd had problems in his marriage. He had problems with his business. He had problems with his health. He was going through a really tough time. He was on a business trip to the United States. He was in a taxi. And as he was in the taxi, he noticed on the dashboard the picture of the taxi driver's children. And he started chatting. He couldn't see the taxi driver's face, but he started chatting to the taxi driver. And the taxi driver said this, I sense you're not happy. If you believe in Christ, it makes all the difference. And he said he was so surprised. He, he thought he was the one in authority because he was paying for the taxi. Yet this guy seemed to have enormous authority. He said, don't you think it's time you settled all these problems by accepting Christ? They arrived at the airport. and that moment, the taxi driver turned around and he said that for the first time he saw his face, he saw the love in his face. And he said, why don't we pray? If you want Christ in your life, ask him in. So there with the taxi driver at the airport, John Goulding invited Christ into his life. And the taxi driver said, now here's a little booklet that you might find very helpful. And he handed John a booklet about the hope that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He went off and he read the booklet and he gave his life to Christ. And that moment changed his life. 1 Thessalonians 1.5 Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and with deep conviction. That's the fourth P, power. The power of the gospel is to transform lives as people encounter the hope of Jesus and feel his love. And that's what I love about being in a church where we see the power of God at work in so many ways, in so many different people. It's not just about words, not just about intellectual arguments or information. It's about experiencing God's love being poured out to us. We experience God's love being poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that is transforming. We'll look more at this aspect of the power of the Spirit when we come and look at the subject of healing next week. The fifth P is prayer. Prayer for others. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 10 verse 1, he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God is that they may be saved. Romans 10.1 I think of a guy called Rick. When he became a Christian, he was so excited, but he didn't really have any Christian friends. But he did have one friend and, and rang him to tell him. And this friend said, oh, Rick, that's amazing. You, do, do you know, I've been praying for you every single day for years. And Rick thought, wow, that really worked. I'd better start praying for my friends. So he started praying for his friend, Tim. Ten weeks later, Tim became a Christian. You know, this year as a church, we have been talking about our prayer vision. You, you most likely have heard about it. 10, 10, 10, 22. 10 new families, 10 new young adults, 10 people saved, two singers, guitarists, pianists, everything else, etc. by the end of 2022. And we've seen God begin to answer every single one of those prayers. And I want to encourage you not to give up. 
The message we have is so important. You know, I heard about a man who was shot in World War II and he was dying in the trenches. And his friend came over and said, is there anything I can do for you? And the guy said, no, I'm dying. There's nothing you can do for me. He said, well, is there any message you want me to take when I, when I go home? He said, yes, go to this man at this address and tell him that what he taught me as a child is helping me to die now. So when the guy got back to England, his friend got back to England, he, he went to see that man. It turned out to be his Sunday school teacher. He went up to the Sunday school teacher and told him what had happened, that what he'd taught him as a child helped him to die in the last minutes of his life. And the Sunday school teacher said, God, forgive me. I gave up teaching Sunday school years ago because I thought that what I was doing was having no effect. Whenever you pass on the good news of Jesus, it has an effect. The gospel is the power of God. Sow the seeds of the gospel in people's lives. You never know when faith will sprout. And pray for those you share the gospel with. Now, I'd encourage everyone to continue to pray for your three friends that don't know Jesus. And if you haven't been doing this, then why not start today? Think of three people close to you, friends, family, loved ones who don't know Jesus. Start praying for them every day. Start praying that God would give you the opportunities to introduce them to the hope in Jesus. Pray that they would invite, that, that they would have a real encounter with Jesus. So seeds of the gospel, invite them along to church or to any other activity where we gather and, and meet together. Pray that God would work in their life as he has worked in yours. So why do we tell others about Jesus? We do it out of love for other people. And we do it because it's such good news. If bringing one of our friends to have an encounter with Jesus and come to a saving faith in Christ was the only thing that we'd done in our lives, then our lives would have been worthwhile. How do we do it though? With presence, being there. As salt and light in our world, we can make a difference to one person's life. With persuasion, Listen to people and be prepared to give an answer for our faith. Proclamation. Tell people about Jesus. Communicate the message of hope and love in the gospel of Jesus. Power through the power of the Holy Spirit and prayer. Pray that people would have an encounter with Jesus. Pray for your three friends. Let me pray for us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed that you are a great God, a loving God, a God, a gracious God who wants each one of us to experience your love, Lord. But you don't just want us, you want the whole world to experience your love. And Lord, you've given that as a command to us to go, to go and share with others about the love that you have with them, to bring them to Jesus. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be active in doing that. I pray that we indeed would be present with our friends and family and in our community and take Jesus with us, that we would be there to listen to people and to open um, their minds to the possibilities of faith in Christ and, and his love. And that, Lord, we would be there to proclaim the gospel, to, to proclaim the hope that is in Jesus Christ that, Lord, you would help us do that through the power of your Holy Spirit and that, Lord, our prayers 
which you have told us are powerful and effective, Lord, they would indeed be when we pray for our unsaved friends. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring many people to faith in Christ through those that are here watching and listening to this message today. May you help us be active in sharing about you and in telling other people about Jesus and the love that he has for them and the hope that is found in Christ. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.